go, go, go. Oh, he's putting his bag back together because his parent was too irresponsible to do it for him. Uh, all right, let's pray in preparation for the message this morning. Um, Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you be with, uh, be with us um, as we come and hear your word preached. I pray that you would um, help me to be uh, faithful in, in how I uh, unpack your scriptures, how I uh, uh, find the treasures that you have for us in, in your word and, and bring them out for these folks. I pray that folks would come to know you more um, by hearing the word this morning. Um, I pray that, that um, we, would, uh, we would see your face and draw into your presence as a part of, as a part of uh, being here today. In Christ's name, amen. So I, I usually uh, start sermons with a uh, with a story or an anecdote or something to kind of illustrate uh, my my point. Um, I'm going to do something a little different this morning. Uh, we're actually going to start uh, with a psalm. Uh, we're doing Psalm 17. This is part of uh, preaching through the book of Psalms in the course of my career. So uh, I, I'm trying to preach all 150 some odd psalms uh, before I retire. And uh, I can't retire until that happens. So um, we're trying to knock them out quick. Um, but uh, we're kind of working through them one at a time. And, and uh, um, we're going to do Psalm 17 this morning just to start out. And I'll, I'll explain my, my intention here uh, as we go. Uh, this, uh, this is uh, entitled In the Shadow of Your Wings. That's the um, title that's added by the by the commentaries later. Uh, it's not a part of the original text. Um, a prayer of David. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from my lips, or for, excuse me, from lips free from deceit. From your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart and have visited me by night. You have tested me and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to your work, to the works of man by the words of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you for you will answer me, O Lord, or O God. Incline your ear to me, hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye, hide me in the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. Those who close their hearts to pity, with their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They have set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear, as a young lion eager, lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord, confront him. Subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. From men by your hand, or excuse me, by your sword. From men by your hand, O Lord. From men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill the womb with their womb with treasure, and they are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Which is Psalm 17. And the reason I'm starting with that 
I, uh, I was, I was praying about this text last night after, you know, having done research during the week and studied it and reflected and looking at how other people preach it. And, and, um, this, uh, psalm, uh, sets an interesting contrast between the guy who's writing it, David, and, um, his enemies. And his enemies are all about wealth and they're all about power and they're all about getting what they want through force and, and by the strength of their arm and, and uh, the things that people in the world see as being a huge blessing. And the psalmist um, is, is taking a very different tact. And he's saying, Lord, I, I look to you, I pursue you, I pray to you, I cry out to you. You are my salvation. You are everything. And, and that contrast is huge because um, if we actually live that way, it would be no small thing, Right? Um, I, I was talking to someone earlier this week about my 401k, um, which actually is, at this point, it might as well be called a 33B or something because it is, it is, or an S, I suppose, for sad. Um, like, like, there'll be a day I retire, but it ain't going to be today or anytime soon. And, and um, b- but I look to that, and I, there's kind of an assurance in that, right? There's going to be a day I'm going to need it. And I, I know that my provision is in, this account, right? And I throw cash in there every month. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's important to plan for the future. It's important to prepare and everything else. But like, how easy is it to rest in comfort on the things that, that are in this world? Am I wrong? Um, I, I was laying in bed the other night and I, I heard a sound, which, which was just one of my children wandering around. And, and as I was laying there, and I actually, I kind of figured because the dog didn't bark, but as I was laying there and listening to the sound of the children wandering around and eventually kicking the door open, which, oh my gosh, um, I began to think, well, should I get up and check on this? Should I get the shotgun out of the cabinet? Should I? I thought, well, I should probably just go to sleep. Because, like, you know, if they're up this late, they want something pretty bad. Um, but, but my first question wasn't, Lord, are you protecting my house? My first response wasn't, Lord, are you out there? Um, a few months ago, I was, uh, I was getting out of the shower, and I noticed I had a spot. By the way, getting old, Big D can tell you all about it. He's getting old. Um, I noticed I had a spot, and I was looking at it, and I thought, oh, my gosh, that spot wasn't there yesterday. And then a few days later, I noticed it again, and I thought, uh-oh, that's a big spot, and it's dark. And I began to worry about it, and, and I began to try to ignore it. And eventually, I made a doctor's appointment because I was pretty sure that I had some kind of skin cancer happening. And the doctor said, no, it's, it's, that's related to you getting old. And, and, but like, like I didn't ever back up and say, I realized afterwards, I'm like, man, I never backed up and said, Lord, make me healthy. Lord, keep me safe. Lord, it, 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 it's funny that, that oftentimes, like, like this psalm takes a different tact. This psalm presents this idea that we are to be protected by God. That he is our provision, that he is the, the one who puts food on the plate, that he is the one who makes sure that, that my health is okay, that he is the one, like, like this is very central to the idea, but it's, it's not often the first place I go. Anybody here better than me at this? Um, and, and like, I, I kind of, as we dive into this, we're going to be looking at it from this perspective. This idea that, that God is Jehovah Jireh, that he is this provider for us. And I, I did not coordinate with, uh, with uh, um, Roberta, thank you, 
Uh, I know her. I met her before. Um, <laughs> I didn't coordinate with Roberta um, about songs, but she picked some good ones, and they're all right on because apparently God provides for my weakness. Um, a little background. The Psalms, as we go through them, these are a literary form. They are um, unique in the scriptures because they are the closest we get to getting like the perspective of man mingled with the perspective of God. Oftentimes there are emotional things in the Psalms that are really tough to like balance out. You read it and it's like, oh, that's not, that's not like the kind of thing we want to be doing. Um, this isn't a good standard to follow, but they reflect the psalmist's anger or his anguish or his, or his fear or whatever. I mean, like it is in there and the Psalms are powerful because of that. Like they are the spot that you can sit down and read and they're like a mirror for us. Am I, y'all understand what I'm saying? Like, like we can see ourselves in them. And, and I mean, I'm sure we all have songs in general that we listen to. And when you hear them and you're like, that's my life, you know, that is, that is me. Um, um, and, and, and that is the Psalms. They are like this reflection of humanity mingled with like a pursuit of God. And they're powerful in that way. Um, in context, Psalm 17 is at the end of a road, right? Like 15, 16, and then 17 are all about God save me, right? God provide. God take care of this. God, there are enemies all around me. I need you to protect me. God, everything is falling apart. I need you to step in here and save it. Um, God, I am in trouble and I need some help right now. Um, I, I, Psalm 15 weeks ago, we were in the uh, park for uh, camping for church camp, which was awesome. Uh, and, and we were sitting underneath the awning one evening. I was really tired because I'd done a funeral and I'd slept in a tent with two small children and, and, um, I'd been outside a lot, which is really weird for me. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm eating dinner and this storm hit. Some of y'all, most of y'all noticed the storm, right? Like nobody got away from noticing it. Well, we were under a pavilion with a metal roof and like, that storm with the hail hitting on it, it was loud, right? Like almost as loud as my kids are on the average, like evening, five minutes before bedtime, right? Like it was loud. And I'm watching and all of these little kids around us are like crying and, oh, where's my dad? Well, your dad just went running out in the rain to, I don't know, he's out there playing, I guess. Um, you know, and they're, my kids curled up in my lap and like hid underneath sweaters that they had stolen from other people. And like they were hiding and terrified. And like the psalm, these psalms are, are like that. They are curling up in dad's lap as the storm pours down and as the noise is there and as the thunder and lightning roll and as the wind, like it was raining sideways. I mean, we were, it was, it was good Montana rain sideways. Like, and we were all getting wet under the pavilion. And, and this is what these Psalms are. They are running to God and hiding out because everything is broken and everything is screwed up and everything is, is as wrong as it's going to be. Anybody ever find themselves in that spot, by the way? Um, it is an easy place to end up. Um, and it's oftentimes hopeless. Um, the thing that marks this psalm as unique in the stack is this is all about like tr- seeking God's presence and seeking his face and like the preparation for getting there. And so um, we're going to dive in here uh, with verse one. Hear me, Lord, my plea is just. Listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. It does not rise from deceitful lips. And so as he starts, he starts out actually pleading his case. Right? God, I'm an honest man. I am a good man. I am following you. I belong to you. 
hear what I'm saying. Um, we're in a funny little tug of war with my daughter right now because my daughter has hit the age where as an older sister it is her responsibility to report everything her brother does. And so now I've had to start punishing her for telling. And so the rule is, if you come to me and tell me that something is wrong, I'm going to punish both of you, right? Anybody, am I really, like, I'm not the only horrible parent here that does this, right? Like, all right, Titus hit me. Well, okay, both of you go sit on your bed, you know. <laughs> Titus did this. Oh, I'm sorry, you know, like, I'm, I'm sure you were innocent in all of it. Um, but the, the trick is, this is a guy who's coming to God, like, out of fear, and he's saying, God, help me. I, I belong to you. I'm in danger. I need you to protect me. Whereas, as much as I love my daughter, I suspect my daughter is very entertained by watching her brother get in trouble. Right? Like, this, the psalmist, his motives are pure. His motives are, like, straight up. And he's saying, God, I'm just. I am right. Hear me. I'm crying out to you. Um, we're, we're doing this grow thing. And I'm, I'm mixing them in with the, with the sermon. If you like this, let me know. If you like it at the end, let me know. We're experimenting here. But, like, how would we apply this? Well, out of the gate, um, the G for GROW, it's an acronym, um, is giving it to God. And, like, out of the gate, this presents this idea that when we're in trouble, this should be the place we go. You know, it's funny. My car breaks down, and I very rarely say, you know, pray, God, fix this so I don't have to. Usually it's... Oh, really? Is this what I'm going to be doing? <laughs> and then I'm trying to diagnose it, and I'm looking for tools. And sometimes I pray when I order parts that they're cheap, you know, <laughs> or available. I, uh, I I stopped praying that when I bought the Mercedes. It was done. They're not available, and they're not cheap. Um, but this this fleeing to God first or this turning to God first or this recognition that God is our rescue um, is rarely the case that we do this first. Um, for a long time, I, uh, I, eight years, I worked at the children's home, this, this inpatient residential mental health place. And there was, a, there was a shakeup in how the state did placings. And basically, they were sending kids to jail or to foster care, and they weren't doing any mental health treatment. And their objective was to starve out the majority of the residential placements. Um, during that time, we went from an average of 70 kids at any given time to about 25. And, like, they had to lay people off. And if you were a salaried employee like me, you had five jobs all of a sudden. And so I worked every day. And I, I was taking a class at the time on spiritual practices in pastoral work. And, and one of the assignments was to, to pick out something to pray for and fast and pray for a week and, and then to write a paper about it, which is the weirdest thing, like fasting, praying, and writing a paper about your experience. And I said, all right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray and fast that the, resident, that the place that I work will get kids. And, and the first day, I remember I got up and I said, all right, I'm going to pray today that they open this program up by the end of the day. And so I, I started my morning and, like, I had to run off campus and I, I, I was – fasting i was praying i remember i was driving on my errand i was praying like god please you know just just open open the secure building like i start this program back up open it by the time i had gotten back that day a program with no kids was full um and then i prayed the next day for more placements and like five kids showed up and the next day i prayed and actually i remember the guy who did um by the end of the week the guy who was who was overseeing like bringing kids in who had not brought a kid in in months 
he said to me, I've never seen anything like this. Like, never in my life have I ever seen this many kids show up. Like, like in such a short amount of time. This is the most unreal thing. It is so crazy that this happened. And, and I remember thinking, that's insane. And, and you know what? I don't often pray or fast when things, like, go wrong. Isn't that weird? Like, I remember writing the paper and saying, man, this is amazing. I'm going to do this all the time. But when things go wrong, my first response is, how do I fix this? Right? How do I step in and take control of the situation and get my hands dirty and fix this? I know things that work. I know that praying, I know that fasting, I know that pursuing God wholeheartedly is a thing that impacts the world around me, but I don't do it because my strength is good enough, right? Anybody in this boat, you know, where things are wrong and they're broken and you think I'll just work harder and make it right and Sometimes that's just it. Prayer, fasting, pursuing God, walking his path, looking for him to rescue us. That is it. Um, Part of giving it to God, like, first off, is to seek him. Second, it's to live a life of focus and integration, like, of what we're about. Um, Because, honestly, part of the reason that we forget to pray when things go wrong is that we, we have boxes, right? And we have boxes because it makes life easier, I have a work box, right? And I got a family box, and I got a church box, and I, I have a social box, and my social box and my church box are pretty interconnected. And I've got this box, and I have my health, and I have my this, and I have my that. And we keep everything separated, right? And so oftentimes our religious faith, our beliefs, our following of Jesus lands in its own area, and it doesn't cross over. You know, we don't walk in in the morning to the office or the barn. I don't know. What do you guys like? <laughs> we, we don't walk into that and say, Lord, bless this farm day, right? I don't start arguing with my wife and immediately turn around and say, Lord, help me to find harmony in this. Or say, hey, honey, before we keep going, let's sit down and pray together. Anybody do that? Because that's that box. Right? I don't pull things out of that box and apply them over here. Like, and it's our culture. This is endemic. Like, we separate stuff because it makes it easier. If I don't have to worry about the kids when I'm at work, then work's a little easier. Um, it's funny. One of, the, one of the things I've learned over decades of, of working is that a married man who spends an enormous amount of time at work to the point where work tells him, hey, you're here too much, is usually having problems at home. And he's hiding at work, right? Because this box is easy and it's safe and it's predictable. That box is emotional and emotions are hard. And so I'm going to hang out over here. And in reality, like this is, this is a problem because like we don't integrate. We break things up and we separate. And particularly as it relates to following Jesus. Jesus should affect my family life. Jesus should affect my financial decisions. Jesus should affect my career choices. Jesus should affect my politics. Jesus should affect, like, my language. Jesus should affect the core of my heart, by the way. If I am bitter and angry constantly, guess what isn't there? Christ isn't there. Christ isn't going to be all about the bitterness. He's not going to be all about the anger. He's not going to be all about the resentment and the past, like, stuff. Um, Like, he's not in that. Um, and ultimately, the cure for those things is to see God as our refuge. Instead of seeing God as a thing that's over there, he's a thing we run to. 
So when I, I think about how angry I am at my spouse, I need to run to Christ. I was angry at my wife earlier in the week and we were arguing, which does happen occasionally for our 99.9% of the time perfect marriage. And I remember thinking, I'm not going to get to be very like angry for very long because Jesus won't let me do this. And I was kind of resentful of it. Like, oh, I can't do this because it's wrong, but I'm going to enjoy it while I can. Guess what I missed? I missed Christ in the equation. I was keeping Jesus in that box, not in this box. And I was annoyed that he was going to break into the other box. <laughs> you ever eat pumpkin pie at Thanksgiving? It is. The best thing to eat with pumpkin pie is whipped cream. Better if it's homemade. And the more whipped cream you have, the better the pie is, Right? Because in reality, pumpkin pie is a whipped cream delivery system. Thank you. The, the next word is amen. <laughs> um, in our lives, Christ is the whipped cream. Right? If you put him just in the middle, he's only going to affect the middle. If you spread them out everywhere, you get a little bit of good everywhere. And ideally, you'd mix them into the batter and everything. Is there batter with pumpkin? The filling. Um, like, like Christ becomes this integrated thing into every part of us. But we want to separate him. And part of what this psalm is about is Christ is in everything. So we're going to keep going here. I know I'm, oh my gosh, he's been talking for four minutes. He's only on verse two. Let my... Vi- <laughs> Let my vindication come from you. May your eyes see what's right. The um, word vindication there is mispot in Hebrew. I'm mispronouncing it. I do not care. Um, Mispot means justice. Let my justice come from you. May your eyes see what is right. Meaning, Lord, my deliverance, my safety, all that is good in the world around me needs to be a reflection of you. Lord, God, help me to know that I am saved because of you. Help me to know that I am delivered because of you. I, uh, I, I knew a kid once I was trying to um, witness to. He was, he was in the home, and I was a chaplain there. And I started trying to talk to him about Jesus, and he, he hated everything about God. Everything. And I spent years working with this kid trying to come up with clever ways to approach him or different inroads to, and it just always, I mean, I think I got better in the first like five years. He stopped spitting when I'd mentioned God. I'm like, which is weird in the middle of like the living room or the dining hall, you know, like, all right, well, thank you. <laughs> it was less funny at the time. Um, <laughs> and one day I said, well, I should just start praying for this guy. And I just stopped trying. I just prayed for him. Every day I'd pray for him. I'd get up at four in the morning and I'd pray for him for a little while. Sometimes I would go back to sleep, but I would pray for him every day. Every day I prayed for this guy. And then one day um, he punched me in the face. And I sat down with him and I talked about Jesus. I told him I forgive him and that it's not a big deal and that I love him anyway. And I walked away. And then he started showing up to my Bible study groups because he said, well, you know, I I started talking to God afterwards because I felt so bad. And, And I baptized that kid after like six years. Of, of chasing him by my own effort. But it's funny, nothing happened until I began praying for him on a regular basis. When I tried, I failed. 
my vindication, my justice, my deliverance, my everything. The difference I make in the world is a product of Christ working in me and Christ working through me. And that begins with me running to him and praying and and seeking him out. Though you probe my heart, though you examine me at night and test me, you will find that I have planned no evil. My mouth has not transgressed. Now, David is saying he is innocent. Can anybody honestly say that God could examine your heart, especially as you lay in bed trying to go to sleep at night and find no bitterness or anger or, hey, let me drag out these old memories and throw a little gas on the fire for a while? Am I the only one who ever does this, really? (laughs) Or when you talk to someone, you start trying to figure out how to get what you want out of the situation or or whatever. I mean, like, like all of us by our very nature, have like a wickedness that runs through us that is a product of our sinful nature. Um, As this psalmist approaches God, he's approaching him and saying, I am clean. Like, I have not transgressed. I have not sinned. I am in the right here. Um, And in reality, we can claim this only in Christ, right? Because... At the core of it, the only time we're ever sinless, the only time our mouths don't transgress, the only time our hearts are pure is when Christ is alive in us. Like like God looks at us, he knows that we're sinful, and so he sends Christ to die for us, lives this perfect life, gets punished in our place, and so when God sees us, he sees Christ's righteousness. And when he sees Christ, he sees our wickedness. And, And on the cross, he pours out all his wrath on Christ. And so in Christ... Um, we can have this, this pure heart that when he probes, he finds Christ. Um, But it's only in that. It's only in crucifying our old selves and bringing Christ to life in us that we can be in this place. Um, and, and this, the psalmist isn't wrong, like in approaching God this way, because this is the psalmist's conviction. His conviction is I am right. I'm chasing after you. Hear me. Right. Um, I I belong to you. I am yours. Hear me. Take care of me. I I think of uh, every time I've read this, I've thought of my kids as they as they approach me for things and they lay out their case. I did this. We have a morning routine in our house. You have to have your morning routine or you don't get to do what you want. Right. Um, And they'll come to me. I made my bed. I am dressed. I brushed my teeth. I ate my breakfast. I did this. I did this. I've done everything that was expected of me. Um, Deliver me. Um, Give me what I want. Take me out for dinner. Do whatever. Like, and that's what the psalmist is doing. I am innocent, Lord. Hear my prayer. Um, If we're going to apply grow to this, this would be the spot where we would ask about, like, where are you? This is self-examination. Are you pure in heart? Are you pure through and through? Are you in this place where you can say, everything is right about me? Um, And so then the question I would ask first off is, like, where have you separated or compartmentalized your faith out of areas of your life? Like in in the areas where we discover crisis in our in our marriage and our family and our in our thought life and our our struggles with sin or or whatever. Like where where have we separated? And like where where do we have bits of pie that lap whipped cream? Right? Like like where am I missing it? And if you are missing it, start spreading it because it's only going to make it better. And the amazing thing is that like. What is it that Christ said, that the, the water is free and the well is deep, right? 
Like we can draw out of this forever. We can do it forever and it never runs out. And it's amazing. But a lot of times we get distracted by the world or by our own strength. I would really love to pursue God. I would really love to come and know you more. But there's something good on TV right now. So I'll get back to you a little later. Um, How have we compartmentalized? How have we separated it? Or like a lot of times we turn our faith into um, what we want. I I have heard pastors who have affairs um, say, not heard them, I've listened to interviews and read where they've said, wouldn't God want me to be happy? Well, of course, but like he also would want you to not cheat on your wife. Like, <laughs> it, they're not mutually exclusive. Like, I can live happy without sinning, but we look and we say, um, this, this sexual thing is the only thing that will ever make me happy. This um, financial purchase thing is the only thing that will ever make me happy. This revenge is the only thing that will make me happy. Or, oh, well, my faith works this way, and when it works, I'm going to use it, and when it doesn't, I'm going to put it away. Um, look at your heart and ask yourself. And if you find that, repent of it. That is a sorry God and then turn around and head in a new direction. Like, and it boils down to, are you taking God seriously as it relates to your life? I, mean, I think part of the reason we don't pray when we have crisis is because we sort of believe it will work and we sort of don't. I think part of the reason we don't go to the scriptures on a daily basis to like learn to know God better is because it's just not that big a deal. I know that's me. I'm not going to lie. I never miss going to the gym in the morning, but there are definitely mornings I miss reading the Word, right? Why? Because I know going to the gym is going to make me healthier. Well, but I need an extra hour of sleep, but I need this, but I need that. In reality, part of what gets in the way is we don't take it seriously. We want it our way, and we want God to do it for us. The whipped cream is too hard to spread. Though people have tried to bribe me, I have kept myself from the ways of the violent. Though through what your lips have commanded, my steps have held to your paths. My feet have not stumbled. And so what he's saying is, listen, there's corruption, but I haven't bought into it. I have not turned to violence. Um, I have pursued, like, I know what your word says, and I have, like, kept it. And I've followed your paths, and I have not stumbled. Um, If we're going to, like, apply this in an application kind of way, owning it. Part of the reason I think we a lot of times get into trouble with sin is we don't, we're not in the Word. Like, we don't know it. I mean, I, I, I find it so easy, um, I find it so easy to do the wrong thing until I'm reading about the right thing on a regular basis. Like, we have to keep our eye on that path. I, uh, I read fitness magazines. Honestly, I don't read them because they're good. I read them because I've discovered if I read them, I tend to eat healthier. Isn't that weird? And if I read them, I tend to go to the gym more. I almost never use their workouts. I just go. Right? Like, it is the weirdest. I mean, I don't know what it is, but when I focus on it, it changes me. Um, I, was, I was learning to play piano a few years ago and, until I, I gave up. Um, and I discovered that if I sat down and I looked at sheet music and I watched lesson material just sort of on the side or in my spare time, I did it. And then when I stopped doing that stuff, guess what happened? I didn't do it anymore. <laughs> Um, studying the word and keeping it in front of us is foundational um, to pursuing God's way. It's foundational to being in the place where the psalmist is, where you can say, I'm walking your path. I know it. I've pursued it. I have swallowed it. I have digested it, and I am on it. 
Um, studying the word intentionally is foundational. Um, it is fundamental. We cannot get away from it, knowing it. Um, it is amazing to me how often I talk to folks and they brag about how much they don't know the Bible. We say, oh, well, I don't really know God's word. Really? I mean, it happens all the time. And I, maybe it's humility or what, I don't know. Like, but we, we should know it. We should read it. We should study it. We should pursue opportunities to learn more about it. Um, if you want to, like, own this idea, Romans in the scriptures, the book of James, and the book of Matthew, I think are the three that I would point to. Um, one is a theoretical structure. It gives you the, this is what the gospel is about. Matthew gives you, like, the best collection of Christ's ethical teachings. And then James is actually an unpacking of Jesus' teachings. Um, there are a lot of people who argue it's one of the first commentaries on the Sermon on the Mount. Like, it is just James taking the Sermon on the Mount and writing about it and saying, hey, guys, do this, do this, do this, do this. And so I always tell people, read James. There's a really good book by John Stott entitled The Radical Disciple. I think I have three copies of it. Um, read it. It is life-changing. Six to nine. I call on you, my God, for you will answer me. Turn your ear to me and hear my prayer. Show me the wonders of your great love, you who save by your right hand. Those who take refuge in you from their foes, uh, those who take refuge in you from their foes, save, let me back this up. Show me the wonders of your great love, you who save by your right hand, those who take refuge in you from their foes. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who are out to destroy me, from my mortal enemies who surround me. Um, Titus, during that storm, I remember him curling up in my lap and, and like sitting there in that place and knowing that he was like he felt safe with me. It was it was powerful. And it made me remember, um, I remember when I was a little kid, I, I cut my foot really bad, and I had to go get uh, stitches. And, and um, I remember my father picking me up and carrying me, like, to the car, and picking me up and carrying me into the emergency room. And I remember feeling very safe at that moment. I remember feeling very protected. Anybody else have that experience ever? Were you in those moments that you feel safe and you feel protected because somebody bigger and stronger and better than you has curled you up and is taking care of you? Um, one of the things that my children ask me regularly, Titus will ask me, Dad, are you proud of me? Dad, do you love me? Dad, am I your favorite boy? Dad, and it, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. That's all that is, right? And we're to pursue God in this way that takes this attitude of, God, make me the most important person in the world. Make me the one. Hold on to me like the most important thing for you. The apple of your eye, by the way, um, actually refers to the cornea. Um, <laughs> and the idea is, if there's a part of you you protect, it's like the eyes and like one or two other spots, um, Right? Like, protect me like you protect your eyes. Protect me like you protect your face. Like, protect me like I matter. Like a, like a mother chicken with her chicks. Like, pull me up close to you. 
They close up their callous hearts. With their mouths they speak with arrogance. They have tracked me down. They have surrounded me with eyes alert to throw me to the ground. They are like a lion hungry for prey, like a fierce lion crouching in cover. Do you guys ever um, watch uh, YouTube videos of lions? I highly recommend it, like, because you see them in the zoo and they seem really harmless, and you see them in cartoons holding the other lion up and the zebras all gather around, like the zebras aren't thinking, oh my gosh, we could be eaten at any second, you know, like, like we, we lose sight of the fact that um, lions are scary, and as he uses this, you know, they're like lions hungry for prey, saying, listen, these guys are stalking around, they're in the dark, I can't see them, I know they're there because I can hear them, and they're coming for me. They have callous hearts. It means their hearts have reached that point where they cannot feel, where they become hardened. Um, their mouths speak with arrogance. Like The psalmist is in this spot where he's looking around and his enemies are everywhere. And he's saying, God, they are out there and they're coming for me. I am afraid. How oftentimes, like a question, how often do you turn to God and say, I'm afraid? Like, God, I am scared right now. God, I am not sure I'm going to make my bills this month. God, I'm not sure how I'm going to make my wife not hate me anymore. God, I am not sure how I'm going to, you know, overcome this area of sin in my life. God, I am not sure how I'm going to get away from being miserable constantly. God, I am not sure how I'm going to... This is the attitude of the psalmist. Man, it's like a lion coming for me. Please save me. Did that jump? No, it didn't. Rise up, Lord, confront them, bring them down with your sword. With your sword, rescue me from the wicked. By your hand, save me from such people. Lord, from those of this world whose reward is in this life, may what you have stored up for the wicked fill their bellies. May their children gorge themselves on it. And may, they, may there be leftovers for their little ones. As for me, I will be vindicated. And will see your face. When I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. Um, this is a slightly different translation. I read from the CEV. This is the NIV. It's actually a stronger translation for this. Mind what he's saying here. He's saying, God, rescue me. And then he says, God, what you've stored up for him. What has he stored up for the wicked? Wrath. <laughs> he says, let it fill up their bellies. Let their children have some of it. <laughs> Like, this is a guy who is angry. You ever get that angry at someone? Not only do I hope you have problems, I hope your kids have problems. I read a, uh, I read a book last week uh, uh, written by a, a combat guy, combat veteran who was fighting in Afghanistan. And he had a disaster that happened. And he talked about how he hoped that the children of the people who were fighting him would be, would be horribly killed. And it's like, oh, my gosh. Did you really say that? Of course, he had just watched his friend be tortured by these guys and a bunch of other stuff. He was so angry. Is that right? I don't think so. Is it real? Kind of. There are times we get so angry we want the worst for the other guy, right? And that's what's going on with the psalmist right here. He's not saying, you know, I mean, he's owning his emotional state. He's there. He's saying, look, God, I want you to pour out your wrath on these guys, and I want you to hit them so hard their kids hurt. And I want you to vindicate me. I want to see your face. Um, the CEV, the reason that I, I did read that, because I think it presents kind of an interesting thing, where he's saying, listen, the CEV presents it as, 
collect up their, their treasures are all in this world, but I'm not somebody who is all about this world. The preceding verse, your hand saved me from such people, Lord, from those from those of this world whose reward is in this life. And then the CEV goes on to say, you fill up their wombs with it, you give them children, and they're, you know, they have all of this wealth. And he says, their wealth is what they want. I want you. Because at the end of the day, like the real treasure that we receive is Christ. Um, I, I used to say this all the time. It's technically, theologically incorrect. that The, the, streets, of Ro- the streets in heaven are paved with gold. You know why? That's right. You're the only person I've ever had to answer that correctly. You get a gold star. (laughs) Because there's no value in it. That's right. Like we look around, we say, oh, money, money, this, this, this. I want this. I want more sex. I want more of this. I want more possessions. I want this. I want safety. I want, you know, and at the end of the day, Christ is the only thing that matters. Um, one of the most powerful movie scenes I think I've ever seen is right at the end of Schindler's List, um, where Oscar Schindler, having saved like a town full of Jewish people, is talking to them and he begins to weep and he says, see this pen right here? It's worth three of your lives and I still own it. See this car? This is 20 of you and I still have it. See this? I could have sold these things and saved more of you, but they were more important to me. Because when you face things that are of real value, when you stand before something that has real value, the things we thought were important, they're nothing. And at the end of the day, you know, everything in this world is going to pass away. We, we can live like folks who've compartmentalized their faith, where like this is the most important thing and this is the most important thing. And God is somewhere around 14th on this list, or not there at all, um, But in reality, seeing God's face and being vindicated by him, being satisfied with his likeness, realizing that the whipped cream on top of the pie is the part worth having, right? The frosting, that's the good part. Um, Help me to be satisfied with that. Um, How do we work this in? First off, we have to know the gospel. If you don't know that Christ died for you, if you don't know that Christ poured out his life for you, and that we're called to belong to him and follow him, like that is it. Like if you don't have that, you will never manage it. This is the number one thing. Follow Christ 110%. I am owned because I am bought. Christ bought me with his blood and I belong to him. We have to choose to make decisions based on the teachings of Christ, and that only works if we know them. Like, and so when I make decisions, I have to make decisions based on what I think Christ is calling me to. When I, when I decide how to spend my money, that's got to be number one. And when I decide how to talk or what kind of movies I'm going to watch or how I'm going to teach my kids or how I'm going to treat my wife, what is Christ telling me I should be doing? We have to seek to apply these teachings in everything. When my thoughts are wrong, I've got to take them captive, kill them, and be like Christ. When it comes time to deal with people that I don't like, I have to figure out how to love them. No matter what they look like, no matter what they've done, no matter what they might do, no matter how afraid or uncomfortable or whatever, I have to love people no matter what. We have to pursue holiness. Pursuing holiness is not a small thing. This means pursuing sinlessness. Are you going to get there? No. Are you going to earn your way to heaven that way? Absolutely not. But, This is like marrying my wife and saying, you are the only person in the world to me, and then making her the only person in the world to me. Does that make sense? 
I belong to Christ, holiness means I belong to you and you alone. And I pursue Christ and I pursue holiness because that's a part of pursuing Christ. I'm going to close in prayer and I will let you all go. I'm a little long and I am not sorry because it's a long psalm and it's a good one. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us this morning. I pray that you would help us to choose you first, Lord. Help us to, to spread Christ over every aspect of our lives and help us to savor every last moment we have with him. Help us to be filled with a desire to see your face. And Lord, when we face danger, help us to see it as an opportunity to run to you more. Oftentimes we experience frustration and anger or depression or whatever, and it becomes this thing that we dread. Help us to understand that while it may be the case that it hurts, and while it may be the case that we dread it, but it's also something that gives us a chance to lean on you. Help us to lean on you and hunger for you in everything. Help us to desire you in everything. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Have a good day, guys.